morning, everybody. We are week three in the Wanderer series. This week we're going to discuss another topic and hopefully learn from the book of Numbers that we're reading from, that we're uh, looking into and diving into to find spiritual truths for our lives. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Numbers chapter 14 for today's message, Numbers chapter 14, and we will look at the first 11 verses. So let's stand as we read the first 11 verses in Numbers chapter 14. It says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus to protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why has the Lord taken us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves, Let us choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua and Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephthah, tore his, their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. and Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Everybody say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. You notice something here in this story? The positive-minded people, the ones that want to pursue God and do the great things of God, are the ones that's going to be stoned by the ones that are anti-God. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will all these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Lord, we're grateful for the church that you have chosen to represent you here in the earth. God, I pray that your church would be a glorious church. Lord, I pray that your church would be a positive-minded church. Lord, that we wouldn't be stuck in negativity. Lord, that we wouldn't always look for faults or for wrongs. But God, we would see you for the light that you are in this world. And God, that you can help us overcome our battles, our enemies, and help us to succeed in everything we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Moses had a hard job. In leading the children of Israel, the same as the Pope has a hard job in leading the Catholic Church of the world today. It's amazing to me that the Pope that's there now, Pope Francis, is a Pope that was come from a background that most people would have never dreamed that a Jesuit would be the Pope of the Church, the Catholic Church. He come from South America. Most all the popes up to this point have come from the Middle East or from the European nations. 
So he is an outsider that ended up as Pope. There's people within the Catholic Church that's always put the Pope on a pedestal and they, they act like he's to a point that you can't touch him. There's a holiness, a reverence towards the Pope. But in the church, the Catholic Church, even though that's a position of a, a, a prominent a place that God has appointed in their mindset, there's still people alive today that's complaining against Pope Francis. Catholic Church members are casting doubt, are casting blame, are doing everything they can to see him not be in power for long. As Moses was leading the children of Israel here, he was trying to lead them into the promised land that God had proven and told them that they would succeed. How many of us has God proven to us throughout our lifetimes that he's, caused, he's allowed us to overcome battles that we didn't think we could overcome? Does anybody have a testimony here today that could, that could say that God has truly blessed me beyond measure, that I can't, even, I can't even say the words to describe how good he's really been to me? I can't, I can't articulate it well enough to, to put it into words. I can't write a poem. I can't, I can't write a letter and, and let everybody know how good God's been to me. I think that's the way we are here today. That even though we see that God has been good to us in times past, it doesn't mean we will trust Him in our future. The word I want us to look into today is the word trust. How much do you trust God? Do you trust God with your kids? Do you trust God with your husband? Do you trust God with your wife? How much do you trust God? You see the children of Israel here, they would come to this point, this place where they had been through all these seasons and we've talked about a couple of things so far. The expectations of God and how He expects things of us. Last week we talked about patience and how, how we're to be patient in the moment, in the season of time where God is taking us to a place. Amen? But there comes a point in time when he gets you to that valley, when he gets you to that place where you can see the other side, you're within grasp, you're within arm's reach of getting what God has promised you. It comes down to not only expectations of knowing what God wants or the patience to understand that I've endured a lot to get here. It takes trust in that moment to see it through. Today I want to speak to you about trust, the word trust. The meaning in the, in the uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary says that a trust is a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability or strength of someone or something. That's what trust means. It's a belief in someone, in the reliability of that person. Do you, got, do you believe that God is reliable? Is he reliable? Has, has he always shown that? Is he truthful? Will he tell the truth? The church has to decide today, is God telling the truth? Is his Bible the truth? Can we stand on this word of God and say it is right and everything else is wrong? So is, he, is this word truth or trust, it really digs deep into what we need to know in, in his ability. Do you, do you trust in God's ability? 
Is he able to overcome? Is he able to be victorious in your life? Is he able to see you through the hard times? What about his strength? Do you trust God's strength? Many times throughout the Old Testament you'll see that after this, uh, we get through the Numbers chapter here, we'll see that God proves himself faithful to the children of Israel, that they see him, that they trust him through generations, and they always say when they come out of a battle and God wins, they say he brought us out with his mighty right arm. You can read all through the prophets of God and see that God brought us out with his mighty right arm. I see strong men competition on TV today on some of those channels and they lift boulders and they lift stuff and they flop these big tires that I don't see how humanly it's possible. They're really strong. Amen? Has anybody ever watched those? The World Strongman Competition? It's amazing some of the things that human effort with diligence, with seeing yourself through, with staying and, and staying with it and working out and staying strong and eating right and doing all these things, the thing that the human body can do. It's amazing. And you'll see their arms and they've got, it's just like they can't even buy clothes anymore because their arms are so huge. I'm sure they have to be fitted to get their clothing. It's amazing. And some of those mighty right arms of some of those individuals and some of the things that they're able to do is amazing to me. But one thing I'm more amazed by is the mighty right arm of God. Amen? Because his mighty right arm, I really believe with all my heart that he could flip and do more damage than the strongest man on the earth. Amen? Just one touch or one, one spoken word from God can destroy nations. The Bible talks about that he opens up the earth, that an earthquake happens at the sound of his voice, and it swallowed up hundreds of thousands of people. Can you imagine the power of the strength of God? How much do we trust that? How much allegiance do we put into that, that God is by your power and not by mine? The Bible says it's not by might. Amen? Amen? It's not by my might. I'm not able to do this. But it's by the, the strength and the arm of the Lord. So as we look at this today, that to trust means something. And there's a second part in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary that says another thing about trust, talking about the legality of it or the law of trust. It's the confidence placed in a person by making that person the nominal owner of property or to be held or used for the benefit of one or more of others. So if a trust is a document, a legal document that you can place with someone. So when you go down to citizens, deposit, bank, and trust. I think they put that last word on there for a reason. So that as you're saying the name of the bank, that you trust them with your money. That you, that you have a, a trust in, as I place my money in these people's hands. I've worked hard all week. I've got my paycheck. I've got my money. I've paid my bills. I might have a little bit extra, and I'm going to take it over, and I'm going to trust someone with it. Everybody say trust. Citizens, deposit, bank, and trust. I'm trusting them with my money. Kind of like I do with Leslie. Here, I'll... 
let's see here, let's count them out. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I got eight dollars. Everybody say, I was trusted with a lot. That's a lot of trust she placed in me, wasn't it? So I've got eight of these, huh? I didn't spend nothing. So I've got eight dollars. I don't even know this. What, what's your name, sir? Dustin. Dustin. Hi, I'm Ben. I, I'm going to trust you with this. You, you keep that for me till the end, okay? In the service. Okay, in the service. I can trust you? Okay, better than citizen deposit. You're, you're trustworthy? Okay. I'm going to trust him with it. So I place my trust in somebody. Somebody I don't really know. I hope Tara chose wisely. That's the only option I got here. I've trusted him with that. It's all the money I've got. If I don't have that, I won't have anything the rest of the week. That's my trust. So I put my trust in him. So that trust is like this. Back in 1929, there was a couple days happened where the stock mar market fell overnight. Black Tuesday and Black Thursday. It fell at such percentage point of decrease that banks closed and forfeited on all the money that people had trusted them with. Because let me tell you how this happens. As you place your $8 in the bank, you follow me? They've got your $8. Now, Mr. Sparks back there is going to go buy him a bass boat, and they cost $2. Don't we wish? So, Mr. Sparks, pick that guy on the shoulder. Say, hey, Mr. Banker, do you trust me? Do you trust me? He needs $2. He wants to borrow $2. All right? He's going to buy him a bass boat. Wow, that's going to be good, right? Okay, so he loaned him $2 because it's a Bank and trust, you know, there's a lot of trust involved here. So now I've trusted him to keep my money. But because he trusts that guy, he gave him my money. Amen. This is the way it works. Debo, now you're neighbors with Mr. Sparks and you see him get a bass boat. So now you want a bass boat. But you think, I can't get a bass boat just like his. I want a better one, don't you? $3 boat. Go borrow $3. Borrow $3. You got to do it by handshake now. That's the way they used to do it back in old times, a handshake. Yeah, shake his hand. Say, you can trust me <laughs> for $3. Wow. Getting scary, ain't it? Now Bubba don't care about no bass boat. He's not wanting to keep up with you because he's like, them two crazies, what are they doing with bass boats? So now we give away $2 and $3, which equals yard school, aren't you? $5. $5, okay. Help her, Misty. Let her use her fingers or something. Okay, $5. So now we've got $3 left in the bank, right? You still got $3? Okay. Bubba, you're wanting to buy $2 for a gun. 
So Bubba's got to come over and get him $2 for a gun because Bubba likes guns. He wants to hunt. So Bubba's going to borrow $2. (laughs) Handshake, man, I want a handshake. There's a lot of trust involved here, right? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) So now all this trust is involved, that there's trust. Mr. Biker, how much you have? I got a dollar. Got a dollar. I got a dollar. Huh? Mom needs a load for the camper. You don't have enough collateral. It ain't worth a dollar. <laughs> got to have some collateral. <laughs> so back, back up your dollar. Now, I'm going to let the biker sit on that dollar. Now, he's loaned out all this other money, but he's still got a dollar. He's like, I'm safe, I'm safe. Now he's going to invest it. He's investing it. He's gambling with it a little bit with the stock market to get some income for the bank. This is how bank and trust works. The money you put in there for savings, they loan to other people and charge interest so that they can make money to pay their tellers, to build their buildings, to do the things the bank does. They don't really have any money. They're using your money. Amen? Everybody say, there's a lot of trust in that. I've trusted one man, and now he's trusted three other people. So now, 1929, when that November dark day happened, and Black Thursday come around, and the stock market crashed, and everything begins to fall, banks go bankrupt. There is no money. Debo's got a boat. Mr. Sparks has got a boat. And Bubba's got a gun. (laughs) I will survive. (laughs) So now, as I go to Mr. Banker and say, okay, I'd like to have my $8 back. (laughs) So I I get a dollar? That's all I get. That's literally what happened. Hundreds of millions of people in America lost all their money overnight, completely gone, completely gone, in an instant, because we're gaining and we're putting trust in a system. We say that's a lot of trust. What if they would have trusted God? that much why will we place this much trust in man and not place that much trust in God Mary just said the verse God's investment plan is 30, 60 or 100 fold I'm not talking about money I'm not telling you give God a dollar and you're going to get $30 back I tell you what, I'd rather give a dollar to God and have 30 times more blessing come in my life than kept the dollar. Amen? It's not about dollars. I, I hate dollars. I wish there was no dollars. I'm kind of like Dad. We'd probably been better off to be back in the days of the 1850s whenever you raised chicken and your neighbors raised pig and your other neighbors raised uh, tomatoes and you all just bartered amongst yourself and traded out and everybody had chicken and everybody had hog and everybody had tomatoes. It's a better way of life. The bartering system 
I believe. There's a lot of trust. And even on these dollars that we have, it says on those dollars, in God we trust. Lift your name and say, how much you trust God? Really, though, how much do you trust God? Buy that baby a sucker. You buy something from grandbabies. Don't you dare spend that on something you're not supposed to. <laughs> Bubba, get you extra pop this week. You just could quit, didn't you? But here, there's a lot of trust involved in sharing. And as I'm saying this, I want us to see that the children of Israel in this story did not trust God. He told them in the previous chapter, go to battle, go fight in the land of Israel, and I'll give you everywhere that your foot shall tread. Every inch of ground that you can walk on, I will give to you. They were 600,000 men named in the census that was above 20 years old. There's a lot of children of Israel that could have went and fought. Say, that's a pretty good-sized army. Amen? It's a big-sized army. They could have went because God was with them. doesn't matter how many numbers they had. It's how big God was. Amen? But they couldn't see their strength for their weakness. So how many of us look towards our weakness rather than our strengths that God has given us? How many of us won't recognize when God says go and we say, no, I feel more comfortable staying? And when the stock market crashes and when things go wrong and when everything begins to crumble, how much do we trust God? The roaring 20s in, in America where the Industrial Revolution was taking over and things was growing at a, at a rate people had never saw before. They, this was the generation that saw for the first time TV. For the first time they saw the radio and, and listened with their ears. This was the generation that saw great things happen. But they put their trust in man rather than their trust in God. And when, it, uh, when our trust is in man, it's fleeting. It will go away pretty quickly. Amen? So how much do we trust God today? Jeremiah 17, 7 says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Blessed. Let me read this slow. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. When I hope in God, when I trust in God, when I place my confidence in God, I can't be defeated because I've placed it into a hand of somebody I can trust. Amen. They, they will he takes account and God is truthful and he's all these things that trust means. And one thing we need to recognize that the children of Israel couldn't get over is, let me say this, adversity doesn't mean abandonment. Everybody say that with me. Everybody say it. Adversity doesn't mean abandonment. Because we're facing adversity doesn't mean he has abandoned us. Doesn't mean that God has walked away and whenever the stock market crashes again, just like we've seen the Great Depression, we've seen the Great Recession, we've seen the stock market crash. In the 80s it fell even more percentage point than it did back in 1920s. You know that? 
because I'm facing adversity doesn't mean that God has abandoned me. Doesn't mean that he's walked away. Trust does not doubt. Trust does not question. And trust does not complain. Trust does not doubt. Trust does not question. And trust does not complain. How much do we doubt God on a daily basis? Where he's looking down from his perception, from his perspective, and he sees us down here wandering around like lost children with no hope and no gain and no ambition and no place to go. And he looks at us and sees, you need to be over here. And from his perspective, it's a whole lot different than where we're at. Yesterday, Leslie took me on a four-wheeling ride at Rush, whatever, park out in Rush, Kentucky. Somebody threw rocks instead of pennies. What's the deal? I don't have my dollars anymore, but I got rocks. So we got out on these trails, and they give us this little map. Has anybody ever had a map? I love the days of maps. Now it's on your phone. You like punch in one address and it takes you or like your, you might have a Garmin. Anybody got a Garmin? Or what's the other ones? The TomTom Tom or all these other little GPS things where a global positioning system, it, it tells you exactly where to go and when to go and when to turn and you need to be in the left lane and you need to watch and start getting towards the right lane. It gives you warnings, all these warnings, right? I love GPS. But the old days, I remember when we had a map. What was the name of the map company? Rand McNally, the Rand McNally maps. It was a big full-size map that had every state, every little road in it. You had to buy the most updated one because sometimes as they built new roads, you could get on the wrong road because it was an old map. Say amen, somebody. <laughs> Your GPS will still do the same thing if you don't update it. So, as you had these old maps, it was a literal piece of paper that you could get out, and you could hear whenever you're a little kid and you're sitting in the back seat and your parents are like driving and, and your dad's over there driving and your mom's reading the map and your mom don't have any sense about direction whatsoever. Say amen, Mom. She don't know north from south and east from west. She, don't, she thinks they're all the same. The compass wouldn't make any difference to her. And she's trying to say, well, let's take this little road. And Dad's like, that's not the way we're going. We're not even going that way. So a map doesn't work if you don't know how to use it. Amen? So yesterday, Leslie took me on this big four-wheeler excursion thing, and we get out in the middle of Rush Out Road, off-road, and they give you this little picture, a map of the park. It's got all these little roads and hollers and all this stuff. So as we're riding around, four-wheeling around, and messing around, and next thing you know, we're driving, driving. We finally was like, it is about 3, 2.30, 3 o'clock. It's like, I'm about done. I, let's just go home. Let's go, let's go load up and go get something to eat. I'm getting hungry. Everybody knows I, I, I operate off of hunger. If I get hungry, I go eat. That's what I do. So I was operating off my normal. I, I need something to eat. So let's leave. Okay. So Leslie gets her map. She's over there on the other side, and I'm driving. And I was like, okay, here's road number 96, here's 94, here's number 3, here's number 11. We're riding by this map, and I don't know what happened to the signs, but they wasn't correct. Some way, shape, or form, they wasn't right. So we're taking all these roads, and next thing you know, we end up 
out in no man's land on a pipeline that isn't even part of the park. Okay, we went to the edge. We was living on the edge. That's where we was at. Living on the edge. So we got all the way out there, living on the edge. And the whole time we was driving, when we ended up on the edge, we was trying to get there. We was actually trying to go home. We didn't make it home. We was to the edge when we thought we was going home. So as we're heading there and going that direction that we're trying to go home, we, we was going all this route and all this way. It's forever, it seems like. Next thing you know, we get out there, and a bunch of other Lewis Countyans come pulling up right where we're at. Apparently all Lewis Countyans drive the same way and look at the map the same way. So they pull up, and they're all there around about, but they've been there a bunch of times before, and they knew how to get around. So Leslie's looking at them. She said, okay, here's my map. Where are we at? We had no idea where we was at. We didn't even know we was on the edge. Where are we at? And that little boy's there, and he's like, well, you're right here. You're plumb at the end. You're on the edge. Let's like, okay, well, where's the truck? He says, oh, right here. And he flips the paper over and points right here. It had a big thing that said uh, the park or whatever, the truck, parking. We had spent that whole time living on the backside of the map. The reason we couldn't get our way out because we was going in circles on the backside of the map. So it was like seven something by the time we get back to the truck. You talk about hungry. I was starving. But you see the moral of this story, don't you, that I put my trust. Okay, almost altar call time. I gotta tell the what tell this right, she said, okay. But she had it folded, and there's only one side. <laughs> uh uh Did you hand it to me, and it's folded? That's how I got it. Wasn't how I got it. <laughs> exactly. They got in a fight. There's got to be some trust involved, right? But once we got that, once the little 11-year-old boy turned the map over and said, here, right here, Pretty simple. We took Route 3 all the way back to the truck. It's pretty awesome. We made it right back where we were supposed to be because we knew the map the way it was intended to be read. What if, I'm just saying what if, we spend all of our life with the map and we're only reading parts of it and the parts we like. Parts we know. Parts we can see. Then someday we're going to get up to heaven and say, God, I can't understand why I went round and around and around and around in circles. And it seemed like adversity was on every side. It seemed like I never got anywhere. It seemed like I never accomplished anything. And God's going to look and say, well, didn't you see the other side of that map? This is what I'm talking about, Trust. The Bible very clearly says in Acts chapter 2 that God, when Jesus left this earth, when he went up and ascended into heaven, he said, I won't go away and leave you comfortless. 
I won't go away and leave you without a guide. I will send you the Holy Spirit, and he will be a comforter to you. And he will lead and guide you in all truth. How much do you trust that voice on the inside? We need to trust it more and more. As the times that we're facing in the, in the way that society's going, we better trust in God. Amen. Amen? Rather than trusting in man, this election season, I'm going to trust in God. Amen. Amen. So as these things are happening and it's coming on us, I'm just asking you, what do you trust? Very simply, what do you trust? Let's stand. Let's see if you come. I love this that I've read in so many books over the past few years. There's lots of church growth books and church uh, health books that we've read. And a lot of them has this one simple quote, and it never really mentions who said it originally that I found yet. But it says, if your memories outweigh your dreams, you'll never move forward. If your memories outweigh your dreams, you'll never move forward. The children of Israel were standing here. They were faced with a battle to go into, and, and they had they had made it all the way up to this point and, and they had to learn God's expectations. They had to learn that patience through that process. But when they got to the point of where they had to decide, are we going to go and take hold of what God has given us? Or are we going to face this battle with our own ideals? They trusted in themselves rather than God. And it cost them all in the end. Don't let your memories of what God has brought you through in times past cause you to think that He's not there for your future. The enemy may have conquered you in your life prior to your salvation and, and there was so much deception there you just can't see through enough to be able to see. Bow your head, close your eyes if you will. How many here today will say, Pastor Ben, I need to trust in God more. I need to place my trust in Him. I want Him to be my anchor in the times of storms. Does anybody here lift your hand and say, I want to trust Him more. I need to trust him more. I don't want to doubt. I don't want to complain. I don't want to question God. I want to trust him. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that just raised their hand. Lord, for the ones that's sitting here today, and Lord, on the inside, they can feel your Holy Spirit tugging at their heart. God, I pray today that you would cause them to trust you more whether it's being trusting you for salvation, maybe there's someone here that's never accepted your blood for their sins. Jesus, I pray today that as, as they confess in their heart and believe and they, they begin to see this process, God, that you they need you to be their deliverer. God, I pray that the trust that they placed in you, Lord, that you would forgive them of their sins just like you promised in your Bible.
And God, for those Christians that's here that's been on this path for a long, long time. And God, it seems like they've went in circles and they've been facing the storms and they've been trusting other things. And God, today they see that they need to trust you more. God, I pray that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that they don't have room enough to contain. Just like you did for the children of Israel. Lord, there's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's a land of abundance for all to obtain. God, I pray that blessing on everybody here today. In Jesus' name, amen.